Good morning. Hey, glad you're with us this morning. I want to encourage you to turn to Zechariah, the sixth chapter. Zechariah chapter six is where we'll be today. We're going to be in verses nine through 15. Um, so you're going to want to have that handy. Much to cover and not much time. Um, so want to encourage you to have that handy because uh, we're not going to be reading that all together. We'll get through all of those verses in the sermon time. If you need a Bible or a study guide, those are available here from the guest services peeps on the side aisles there. Uh, just raise up your hand and uh, get their attention and they'll uh, get you a Bible or um, a study guide. So need to mention um, this one last time. I think I hope I promise maybe. Um, I've mentioned this a number of times in the last four or five weeks in a row, um, but it's important um, because if you're still using CCB, and if you don't know what that is, you're not using it, so don't worry about it. Um, But if you're still using CCB, which is our old software, um, or the old app, or our old text-to-give number, which is like two of you, um, you must go in this week uh, to delete your old giving information, okay? Uh, you must go in this week to delete your old giving information and your structure for how you give at what kind of, because we have already moved to the new system where everything I just mentioned happens in one place. Um, if you don't know the details of that, don't sweat it. Just keep right on with your check or cash or however you do that. Um, I know this is a bit annoying for those of you who give online, um, but we are done with the old system we've used for the last eight to nine years. We have a new system that is serving us much better. Um, And I know that's annoying, but we need you to go in and change that because we are not allowed to do that. We cannot do that. We don't hold your information on our computers, our servers. So what you need to do is go to um, FCCGreenville.info and then just click on my FCC in the top left there. Um, That works on your smartphones if you have one of those. That also works on the iPads and back in the hub. Um, That will tell you everything you need to know uh, about this and uh, if you need help setting up your, your giving with a new system, you can go to the hub afterwards if you need help, and we'll help get you uh, set up with that. So enough about all that. But it is important because this is like your last week, and there are a few folks who are still using the old system. So uh, feel free to increase your giving by 15% on the new one. Two big Christmas plans to tell you about, um, to make you aware of. Um, The first is a Christmas outreach that we have that's going to be happening on Friday, December 8th. Uh, We were planning on doing two shows. We're just going to do one. We're not doing Friday and Sunday. We're just doing Friday, December 8th. It is a one-hour interactive game show VBS-like presentation. I hope that clears it up for you. It's a one-hour presentation of the Christmas story called Jingle Jam, and we're going to be uh, doing that show Friday, uh, December 8th. It's something that's an outreach. It's going to be fun for all involved. Um, We'll tell you more about that at the end of the service today. Also, second thing, need to make you aware of what we're doing for Christmas Eve day. (laughs) Uh, Sunday, December 24th is uh, Christmas Eve day, and that's a Sunday, um, December 24th. And so on that Sunday... December 24th, we're doing three identical candlelight services, um, two in the morning and one at night. We're going to be doing 9, 1045, just like we do now. I'm uh, going to be bringing in extra chairs. We're going to have them all upstairs here. And we're doing 9, 1045 and 6 p.m. So come join us for that. They're all going to be identical. We'd just like for you to at least choose one, okay? Choose one for that day at least. Feel free to come all three. It's cool. I'll be here all three. See you there. Um, 
but we do want you to invite your friends, um, all, all two of them, uh, so that we can all experience uh, what Sunday mornings are like at FCC. We want to take advantage of the opportunity uh, to have guests with us on Sundays um, like this and like Easter uh, when we have uh, extra folks here who may not normally be here. Uh, so we want to take advantage of the opportunity to connect people to the body uh, as much as we can. So invite both your friends. All right, lot to get to here. Let's go ahead and pray and get our heads and hearts in the game for Zechariah chapter 6. Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning. Praying that we would submit ourselves to the authority of your word in our lives. So that as we give ourselves to what you have to teach us through the Holy Spirit, you would be more sovereign in our lives. Namely, that we would recognize the sovereignty of who you already are. And that we would submit to that truth as we give ourselves to learning from you in the word today. So, Father, this morning... We pray that we would experience the kind of restoration that can come only from you. And we give ourselves toward that end, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So in 2012, in 2012, uh, a small, nothing special town in Spain uh, called Borgia uh, a small town in Spain called Borgia gained international uh, notoriety for a story of an art restoration gone bad. Some of you may remember this vaguely in your minds. I, if you uh, follow the Internet. Um, so in this little town of about 5,000, there's this Catholic church, a little Catholic church that has a fresco of Jesus uh, wearing a crown of thorns that's called Ecce Homo, or Behold the Man. That's the translation from the Latin. And you can see that picture here. This is the original fresco. Um, can we make that look normal for the next two services? Does that make sense to you all up there? Thank you. Um, so this was painted on an interior wall of the church as you enter uh, in the mid-1800s. And, and I'm no expert on <laughs> mid-1800s. Spanish frescoes, um, but this is obviously, in its own right, a well-done painting. It's good, I suppose, as frescoes go. Uh, probably not worth like a special trip to this little church in Borgia, Spain, but it's probably a nice stop if you happen to be going through town. Little town of 5,000, nothing special. But for the people of this church, uh, the Sanctuary of Mercy Catholic Church in Borgia, Spain, this fresco was, thank you, this fresco was a big deal. This fresco was a big deal. And in 2012, like any painting that isn't properly kept, climate controlled, protected well, um, it began to show some wear and tear. And so this is what it looked like in 2012. Um, started to sort of break down a little bit. So 83-year-old Cecilia Jimenez. 83-year-old Cecilia Jimenez is an 83-year-old amateur painter in that church who decided to do something about this 
uh, painting. And she, she, she lacked formal art education, but she had been doing some painting on the side for herself. Uh, she had done some light restoration, in fact, of this fresco um, a few times here and there. And so she asked the priest, and the priest gave her the go-ahead to go ahead and do everything she could to fully restore this fresco, this lovely little fresco, to its former glory. And here's what it looks like today. It's both funny and frightening. Now, the story only gets worse. <laughs> Buckle up. Apparently, poor Cecilia um, had just started the restoration of the project, and she had made it to this point uh, when she left for a previously scheduled vacation with every intention to come back and to finish it and to make it look pretty and um, But before she returned, uh, and clearly before she intended it to go public, uh, some folks in the congregation uh, got a sneak peek and immediately contacted the police because they assumed that this was an act of vandalism. And as soon as the police arrived on scene, they agreed. (laughs) It was vandalism clear as day, and the culprit must be found. Uh, So obviously it's both a little bit funny, but it's also frightening and scary and tragic in its own right. Sadly, it was not an act of vandalism. Um, It was poor Cecilia Jimenez just plain trying to help. And, And by the time she returned from vacation, the truth had been uncovered about the painting, and she arrived home uh, to find that her restoration project had received considerably more attention than expected. And instead of being praised, she was instantly, mercilessly ridiculed and suddenly internationally notorious. The news came in, started to cover the story. The internet got hold of it. Uh, One BBC correspondent who covered the story called this the worst art restoration project of all time. And saying it resembled, quote, a crayon sketch of a very hairy monkey in an ill-fitting tunic. Feels accurate, doesn't it? Uh, To make the story worse, the internet gets a hold of this restoration project and deemed this picture Potato Jesus. And it instantly became a meme for botched good intentions. And so now... If you Google today, Ece Homo, the original uh, name of this painting, you'll get about half a million or so results. But if you Google Potato Jesus, you will now receive approximately 32 times more results than you would the original painting. Now, there are probably many stories uh, worth telling in this uh, sort of tragic comedy. Uh, But at this point, I want you just to sort of feel this one. (laughs) Uh, Because this is a story that didn't get told well. Poor Cecilia's botched restoration project was sort of kind of funny on the one hand, of course. But for her, as you can already imagine, it was an altogether heartbreaking and heart-rending experience. This poor woman didn't eat for days. She went into hiding. Uh, She spent years in therapy following the release of the story. Not only had she sort of disappointed her friends and her little Catholic church, uh, who who instantly called her work vandalism, uh, she also became uh, sort of an international joke. Uh, In fact, the descendants of the original artist threatened to sue her for ruining the painting. And and of course, 
But worst of all for her, for this poor woman, she knew that nothing else about her life was going to be remembered. No one would care that she made these beautiful paintings on her own, on the side. <laughs> uh, no one would remember her devotion to the church uh, for many decades. No one would account for her desire to take care of what had been a beautiful fresco. Cecilia Jimenez would forever be the woman who ruined it, and she was the reason why something that was once beautiful was now forever ruined. Maybe you've experienced that kind of letdown, feeling, emotion. Something good and beautiful that is now gone in a way that seems impossible to restore. Maybe, worse yet, like Cecilia, maybe you've been the reason behind something good and beautiful now being destroyed in a way that seems impossible to restore. When Zechariah was preaching to the people of God, they had just returned to a homeland that was not what it once was. Their land had been a place of peace and safety. Uh, the temple stood in the place of Jerusalem in the former days as a place of security and safety and power in a relationship with God. It stood as a symbol of God's presence for them, among them. But all of that, when they returned, had been destroyed. And things like that felt that they were beyond repair for them. And worse yet, God had made clear that it was their sin and their rebellion that, in fact, were the cause of the destruction. Uh, Cecilia Jimenez destroyed one painting. The sins of the people of God had destroyed their entire nation. Step into that context, the hope of God. Because you see, God wasn't finished with them yet. And hope was on the horizon because he had plans to restore the temple to something even greater than it was before. <laughs> it just looked different than expected. Jump in with me to Zechariah, the sixth chapter. Sixth chapter, starting at verse 9. We'll go from 9 through 15 today. And we look at how this plays out. The temple looking different than expected. It says this, The word of the Lord came to me. This is the word of the Lord coming to Zechariah. Here's what I need you to do, Zechariah, he says. God speaking to him. Verse 10, Take from the exiles, those returning from out, outside of Jerusalem, coming back to the homeland, take from the exiles, uh, Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, um, three unpronounceable names, who have arrived from Babylon, uh, the place where they had been in exile, the foreign city, and go to that, go that same day, excuse me, to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. So go to Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, and Josiah, <laughs> four hard to pronounce names. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. <laughs> I didn't think he'd laugh at all. Uh, and verse 11, take from them, because they're famous 70 rockers with money. No. <laughs> Strike that second service, I guess. <laughs> Too far, Scott. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown. And look at this. This is, this is noteworthy right here. And set the crown on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, 
the high priest. Now press pause for a bit here. Just to clarify, the high priest here is Joshua, not Jehozadak. Uh, and Joshua's name means, what do you know? <laughs> Salvation. So to summarize, the prophet Zechariah is being told by God to take silver and gold and to make a crown and to set it on the head of the high priest whose name means, not exactly accidental irony, uh, salvation. Okay? Here's what is significant about this vision here in Zechariah 6 at this point. You don't crown high priests. This is where we begin to see hints in this text, at least today, that restoration is going to look different than expected. The vision here is of a king who is also a high priest. (laughs) Don't miss this. This is the whole ball of wax today. The vision is of a king who is also a high priest. Think about this. A king rules over the people with absolute authority. He is, he's in charge of everything. Kings are kind of a big deal. And then you've got a priest, a high priest in this case, who for the people of God was a mediator between them and God. He made sure that the offerings, that the worship of the people, that all the sacrifices in the temple, he made sure that those happened correctly so that the sins of the people were taken care of before God, so that their standing was right before God. So he was a mediator between God and the people, this high priest, also kind of a big deal. And they, of course, separately did their thing, kings, high priests. And the people had experienced those two in their various roles, in their various places for many hundreds, in fact, thousands of years before this. But this vision is a vision of a king who is also a mediator. A king who is also a high priest. This is restoration that looks and feels different than the people expected. This is not what the people of God were used to. They were used to kings who used their authority to manipulate them for self and for the sake of the state. But this was a king, in contrast, who would use his authority, his ultimate power and authority and sovereignty, to serve the people by restoring them to God as mediator. And his reign as the king who acts like a priest was predicted here in Zechariah 6, 750 years before it actually happened. Keep reading. Look at verse 12. Say to him, say to Joshua, the high priest, thus says the Lord of hosts, the the Lord who gathers, behold, in other words, sort of check this out, behold the man whose name is the branch. This is one of the early names for Jesus used here as predictive prophecy. We talked a little bit about that last week. Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place. He'll grow out from this place, from Jerusalem. And and notice this. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now, Zechariah at this point is like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) What? He is going to build the temple? I mean, I, I, I thought, Lord, that you were telling me uh, that you were bringing the people back from exile, back from Babylon to Jerusalem so that they could build the temple. And now you're telling me that this sort of priest king, this branch guy, is going to come and build it. And, and let me get this right. He's going to branch out from here and somehow build it somewhere else. 
and here. <laughs> Clearly in this sort of king and priest thing that's going on here in this vision, this is coming together altogether differently than expected. Keep reading verse, four, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, king and priest together. And the council of peace between the two of them shall be between them both. In other words, perfect harmony will reign in this king who is priest. He will rule justly, verse 14. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to, and I notice this is a little weird, but there's some cool stuff here. As a reminder to Helam, uh, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. So Crosby stills Nash and Young. And, and this crown that Zechariah was to make in this vision, he was going to place on the head of this new priest and king who would remain in the temple. And notice that this priest and king doesn't live in a normal king's temple or castle, but he lives in the temple of the Lord. And, and, and the question, what would be the nature of his reign? Well, there's a hint here. There's a weird little hint, but I think it's cool. I hope you do too. Weird little hint here in the names that are used here. Notice that in verse 14, compare them to the names as they're used previously in verse 10. Notice that the first and the last names change. The Crosby and Young parts are different. Notice that the first and the last names are different here. Okay? Heldai, that it says there in verse 14, uh, means mole. M-O-L-E. As in ugly, rat-like, dirt-burrowing animal. Heldai, mole, has now become, it says here, Helam in verse 14. It changes from 10 to 14. So it goes from mole... <laughs> which means ugly, rat-like, dirt-burrowing animal. And now it means strength. Okay? And then also notice at the end, in verse 10 to 14, it changes. Josiah, which means the Lord gives, now becomes hen, which means grace. So, and I know this is a little weird, but remember, this is a vision from God that Zechariah is seeing. So we've gone from a mole to strength, and the Lord gives to grace. I know this sounds entirely weird. But again, this isn't like you expect. So stop expecting. We've gone from a small and ugly rat-like animal. Just telling you like it is. <laughs> that lives by itself, that breathes underground, that burrows in the dirt for worms. It's got a role in God's creation, sure. But we've gone from a mole to the word strength. A nothing little animal to the word strength. And then we've gone from the Lord gives. Lord gives what? What does the Lord give? Grace. Instead of a normal king, instead of expectations that come as we assume a normal king, supposedly who rules for self, this is a king and a priest in one figure who brings strength and grace and rules for the sake of the subjects. That's altogether different. And check this out. <laughs> Look at this. God's people are gathered up 
They're gathered up, says the Lord of hosts. Every single passage we've read in Zechariah for these four weeks includes this Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts. God's people are gathered up in this process of the coronation of this branch, the king and priest who branches out to gather for his purposes. God's people are part of this restoration. Look at this, verse 15. And those who are far off, the exiles, shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. So God's going to build it, but you can help. (laughs) And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You will know that, uh, that God is behind this because it will be him building for his purposes and you helping. Instead of the other way around, which is what we think life is about and what we expect. In other words, we've been reared to think about our lives as, I'm building, God's just helping. Thank you very much. I'm building my plan. I just need you to kind of confirm my personal vision, Jesus. You shall know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you when he's building and we're just helping. (laughs) And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. All you need to do, God says, all you need to do is listen to me. Just follow my lead. I will build the temple. You can help. And when you see restoration happen because of a king and priest whose reign is marked by strength and grace, then you will know that I am building my temple. All you got to do is follow me, listen to me, obey my voice. Now, as best as we can tell, um, in the history of the people of God, soon after this, they did obey God's voice. Uh, They did return to the Lord. They did work hard to help to build the temple. But it didn't end up looking like they'd expected the temple to look like or the priesthood to look like or the the kings to look like. In fact, in Ezra, uh, we, we know that when they dedicated the temple, there were many who were cheering, but there were also many who were weeping for how that new second temple paled in comparison to the temple of old uh, that was great and it was glorious and it was majestic. Here's why. Because, friends, God's restoration isn't to the way things used to be or based on our expectations. God doesn't restore you for a past. He restores you for mission and for his purpose and for his future. What God's doing in our lives is something altogether different than you might assume based on your personal vision for your life. He, he puts us back together for something different, something bigger, something better, and something more glorious, in fact, than just putting the stones of the temple back the way they once were. You see, God is not exactly interested in restoring you and restoring me to our previous personal vision of our lives. He has little interest in helping you achieve your worldly vision for yourself. God wants to restore you. He wants to restore me. He wants to restore us so that we can help him build his temple. He wants us to be helpers in the process of building temples. And temples are places where God rests, where he lives, and where he lives is now in human hearts. 
And friends, restoration for a mission that is different and that is greater than our plans is the mission to which God is calling his people. We've just got to continue to lean into that truth and to trust the trajectory of God's greater purposes. Here's what I mean. Uh, So poor Cecilia Jimenez uh, was, of course, convinced um, that she'd be forever remembered as the woman who ruined a once beautiful painting of Jesus. Uh, Cecilia Jimenez, author of Potato Jesus. She probably just wanted to crawl into a hole and uh, do what I would do, which is eat Oreos and milk uh, for the rest of my life. In fact, at the time, right after this happened, uh, the priest wanted to sort of cover up the painting uh, to forget the incident altogether. But someone within that little church who dared to believe that God could work for good, even in the midst of tragic comedy like that, had an idea. And so what if what if instead of whitewash it, we own it? What if we tell the story as it actually happened? So they did. Little, middle of nowhere, Borgia, Spain, they set up a little exhibit where the painting was, uh, where it had come from, how it deteriorated. They even told about uh, poor Cecilia's attempt to restore it, uh, how she went on vacation. Uh, The police declared it vandalism, the whole nine yards. They sold the rights to uh, Potato Jesus to a local winery who paid a hefty fee to use it on their bottles. Uh, They opened a little gift shop. They started hawking mugs and T-shirts and little teddy bears wearing Potato Jesus on the front. Uh, They began to tell the real story. And for $5 today, you can go to Borgia, Spain, and you can visit Potato Jesus and have your picture taken with it. Since embracing the actual story, um, this little church has experienced 100,000 visitors who have made it to middle of nowhere Spain uh, to hear about the story of this botched art restoration. The visitors stay in the town They eat at the restaurants. Uh, They keep little Borgia, Spain pretty economically healthy so that if you catch what's going on here in world events, a few years ago when Spain has had major recession, what do you know? Bright spot Borgia, Spain was just fine. Thank you very much because we got potato Jesus. (laughs) Not only that, proceeds from it are now used to support a nursing home. And proceeds go to help Cecilia Jimenez's 56-year-old son who has cerebral palsy. Cecilia, in fact, now tells the story a little differently. Uh, She said when she instantly became infamous for botching the restoration, uh, she went into this deep depression. She didn't eat for days. She was fearful of a lawsuit. She had to fend off reporters. She felt the wrath even personally of those she formerly thought were friends. She was worried she would be ever forever vilified as the painter of the uh, worst art restoration project in history. (laughs) But now she says, I look at that man in the painting and I think... He's almost handsome. <laughs> now, while we maybe would question her judgment on, uh, on the objective goofiness of Potato Jesus, um, it is clear that she has learned the lesson the people of God were learning in Zechariah. God is doing something different 
than you may expect. We've got, to, we've got to embrace this idea that maybe God's restoration project looks different than our expectations for our lives. Because if we don't embrace that truth, we miss out on the many ways that God is transforming even our worst experiences for the sake of something bigger than we could possibly imagine or be in control of. You see, God wants to build the temple that is your life by placing a king and priest on the throne. This is some of what Jesus meant when he said, destroy this temple and I will build it up in three days. What God is doing is he is building in you something new, something different, something better than you can yourself. (laughs) First Corinthians says in a couple places, do you not know? that you are God's temple and that his spirit lives in you? What God is doing in this process of following him looks and it feels different than you having what you think you want. And listen, most of us know we're getting what we think we really want leads to. Don't we? Maybe the lesson today is simply this. <laughs> and I know this is, would sound quite silly if you hadn't heard the rest of this sermon. Uh, but maybe the lesson today is simply embrace potato Jesus. Embrace the potato Jesus in your lives. Stop pursuing Eche Homo and embrace potato Jesus. Stop assuming that your life is meant to look the way that you want it to. And embrace the God who can, work, who can work through the botch restoration of your life that you've made it. To bring it into something that is more beautiful than you can make happen yourself. That's a God who restores lives. Stop trying to paint over uh, the ugliness, the brokenness of your past with your untrained amateur brush and embrace a priest and king who uses his power and his authority to restore us into people who are different than we were and maybe hoped to be. Because this isn't about you. This is about a God whose glory alone deserves our whole lives. Friends in Zechariah, when God says return to me and I will return to you, it isn't so he could rubber stamp your vision for your life. God has come to restore your tattered vision of personal fulfillment so that you can learn what true, lasting, forever peace So that you can learn what God building his temple, his kingdom, his purpose looks like in you. Friends, when God is in charge, restoration always looks different than we expect. And so we come to Jesus where restoration looked very different. It looked like two arms extended 
on the cross. And they weren't yours and they weren't mine because our arms can't bear the weight of that sacrifice. They can't atone for sin because they're full of sin. Return to me and I will return to you means letting the great restorer do what only he can do. To be the priest and king you need. Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we pray for restoration to continue to happen in our lives because we give ourselves to your work. We admit that it is your work alone that works. And we ask that you'd continue to restore your vision for our lives so that you would bring yourself glory by branching out into all nations so that your people who are filled with your spirit would be the place where you live and that that would be a witness to the truth that you're a God who is priest for us and king for us, that you provided for us in Jesus what we ourselves could never attain. Lord, we love you for that amazing truth. And we give ourselves to your vision for our lives, admitting again, admitting anew today that we have used our lives for our purposes. Lord, help us to continue to buck up against those limits so that we could experience as we give ourselves to your project for our lives greater peace and freedom. Lord, we thank you for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.